Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And tonight we resume from Peruk Vav, Pasuk Zayin, the last Pasuk of Sedra, no, almost the last Pasuk of the Sedra of Bereshit. So after we've had in what's been of this Peruk Vav so far, we talk, talked about the moral decline of humanity and the uh, B'nai Elohim doing something wrong. And then Hashem saying in Pasuk Gimel, I'm going to give them 120 years to see what's going to happen. In Pasuk Dalad, they didn't improve. On the contrary, so in Pasuk Vav, V'yinachem Hashem ki asa et ha'adam, and Hashem, uh, Rashi gave a number of explanations for Yinachem. But basically, the die is cast and the end is coming. And in Pasuk Zion, Hashem says explicitly, V'yomer Hashem emche et ha'adam. Hashem says, and I'll leave this word untranslated for a minute, but I'll do something to mankind, Asher Barati, which I created, Me'al Pene Ha'adama, from the face of the earth, Me'adam Ad Behema, from human to animal, Ad Remes, creepy crawly, Ad Of, to the birds, Hashemayim of the heavens, Ki Nechamti Ki Asitim. And I'll leave that untranslated as well. So Rashi in a commentary says on the words, Vayom Hashem emche et ha'adam. Says Rashi, referring to Adam, Hu afar va'avi alav mayim. He is dust, which is a nice sort of callback, if you like, to what we learned in the first parrot, or second parrot rather, that Hashem formed man from the dust of the earth. I don't think necessarily Rashi is connecting the end of the Pasha with the beginning of the Pasha, but it's just interesting that there is such a connection. So he is earth or dust. And I will bring on him water. So Rashi, Rashi quite, is quite explicit here. He's explaining the word or and what does mean, which I left untranslated? It means dissolve. And what might you have expected in this verse? Hashem says, I am going to... Anyone? Destroy. Lahashmid, or lahabed, or to uh, cause to disappear into nothingness. Those words that we have quite often to refer to destruction. But in this pasuk, he doesn't say, I will destroy. He says, I will dissolve. So Rashi has to say why dissolving is appropriate. Because he's literally going to dissolve man. Man, his, his uh, element that makes him up is afar, dust. And if you bring water, because as we keep knowing, the flood is coming, the water is going to dissolve the dust. So this Rashi is quite nice and self-contained. One doesn't have to work very hard. Rashi says what the problem is. Loshen michui. Why is it an expression of dissolving? And the answer is because water is going to bring about the dissolution of mankind. Then Hashem says, Ki nechamti al asitim. Sorry, ki nechamti ki asitim. So there's at least two problems here. One is, what is the meaning of nechamti? Now we had this discussed in Vav. Um, we might think it means regret. It might think, we might think it means comforted, as Rashi says. 
But Rashi gives another explanation in Pasuk Vav, which will work here, as we will see. And there's also another problem. How do you translate the word key? Any idea? It could be because. It could be when. It could be that. could even be if. And maybe a couple of others. Rashi often says there are four meanings, but those four can be split further into more than four. But here we have a problem which comes up from time to time. We have two in a row. We have ki nechamti ki asitim. Do they both mean the same thing? Do they mean different things? Um, it's hard to say. Well, let's, let's see what Rashi says. So Rashi says on the words, ki nechamti ki asitim, chashavti ma asot al asher asitim. So how does he translate nechamti? I thought, or I have thought, what to do al asher because asitim, I made them. So Rashi has translated two phrases for us. First of all, nechamti, he's translated as chashavti ma la'asot. So the word, the idea of regret doesn't make sense because Hashem doesn't regret what he's done. The idea of comforted doesn't make sense because it doesn't fit here at all. So what are we left with? We're left with, as Rashi said in Pasuk Vav, that nechamti can mean to think what to do, like to take counsel. So that's what it means here, chashavti ma la'asot. And I think we can say quite straightforwardly that none of the other explanations of Nechamti would fit. And the key, now it doesn't mean because as in Ki Nechamti, I think what to do, Ki Asitim, because I made him in the first place and therefore I've got to now do some Nechamti. That's not what Rashi says it means. I've thought what to do, Alasher Asitem, over the fact that I made him, they made them. So originally I made them, and now I have to, as it were, reflect on what to do next. So I have to think about, I have to think what to do. I would say perhaps, given that I made them. And you can interpret this as the Berba uh, Sadeh does, I think, um, that I'm sort of looking after them. Because I made them, therefore I have a responsibility to uh, consider their fate. So that's a slightly different type sense of alasher. I've got to think what to do because, and this would be a better translation of because, because I'm the one that made them, therefore I have a responsibility to think what to do. So Rashi replaces key by alasher. I suppose the point I'm making is it's still not 100% clear what alasher means. You could translate alasher as because in the sense of I've got to think what to do because not because I made them and therefore I'm now regretting it. That's not the meaning. But as I quoted, I think it's the, the bear basadeh, I've got to think what to do because I'm like responsible for them because I made them. Or it's I've got to think what to do given that I made them. Given that I made them, they're now here, all these people, and they're turning bad. So therefore, I've got to think what to do about them. And then we finish the sedra with a comment, a, a pasuk, which Rashi doesn't comment on, so we'll just read it. V'noach matzachein be'enei Hashem. So after saying that the whole world is pretty rotten, and Hashem says, I'm going to give them 120 years to decide what to do, and then he decides to wipe them out, he now says, we now say, but there is a glimmer of hope, and that is the future of humanity. Noach matzachein be'enei Hashem. And of course, Noach is a... Acron- uh, anagram of Chain. Yeah, I don't know if that's interesting or significant, but there you go. And with this, we conclude the Sedra of Bereshit, which we started, I think, in February. Um, it, we started when two 
women were learning in this Bet Midrash and they asked me for a thought and then I thought about it some further and then they said, could we start to share? And that was in the very beginning of Bereshit. It was about in February and... Last year? Yes. Oh, end of last year and then we took a summer break, yeah? Yes. Oh, wow, yes. So it's been the best part of a year, okay? But it's not, we're not measuring it by speed, we're measuring it by quality. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> As in more the fact that yeah, I would stop digging. Okay. <laughs> and now we move on from Sefer Sedra Bereshit to Sedra Noach. And we start with the first Pasuk in Noach, which generates two comments of Rashi, both of which I think are very well known. I, because they're interesting and they're quite sort of classic examples of Rashi's style, and because they come at the very beginning of the Sedra. And there are people who do not manage to learn through the end of the sedra, but they always learn the beginning, so the ones at the beginning become more well-known. Eile toledot noach. These are the... Well, the word toledot is hard to understand. I should give a little bit of background to what's coming next. Different Mephoshim explain toledot in basically one of two different ways. There are those who say toledot means events, happenings in the life of. So Eile toledot noach means these are what happens in the life of noach. And that, by the way, in this case, would fit very well. This is what happens in the life of Noach. Okay, we'll now tell the story of Noach. Um, Ela told it Yitzchak, Ela told it Yaakov, is explained in the same way by those Mephoshim who take that view. Rashi is of the opinion that Toldot means generations as in children of. And wherever it occurs, it means children of. And if it's not clear that it refers to children of, Rashi will have to sort of explain how that interpretation is the correct one. Um, Eila Toldot um, Yitzchak is a good example when he says at the beginning of Toldot. Um, because it doesn't, Eila Toldot Yitzchak, if it means the children of Yitzchak, you'd expect it to say, these are the children of Yitzchak, uh, Yaakov and Esau, and it doesn't. So Rashi has to explain that. Here also, it says Eila Toldot Noach, and then it says Noach ish Sadik. Tamim Noach. Noach was a righteous man, a perfect righteous man, he was, in his generations. With Elohim, Noach walked. And then, let's go straight into Pasuk Yud. And Noach begat three children, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yafet. So my learning friend on my left has pointed out we already know that. Um, that is not the problem that we're going to deal with right now. The problem we're going to deal with right now is when should the reference to, uh, to Shem, Ham, and Yafet have come in these two pesukim? After Toldot After Noach. Eile Toldot Noach, Shem, Ham, V'yafet. Or V'yolid Noach, Shem, Tov, V'yafet. Why do we go off into Noach, Ish, Tamim, Hayabadorotov, Et, Alakim, Niftalech, Noach? So as I said, Rashi says Toldot means children. So the children are mentioned, but only after a tangent. So Rashi says on the words, Noach ish sadik, ha'il v'hizkiro siper b'shivcho. Because it mentioned him, it relates his praise. Shenema zeicha sadik livracha. So we have a quote from Mishlei, which we use all the time, usually in relation to somebody who's passed away, but the literal meaning is the memory or even the mention of a tzaddik is to be a bracha, 
not that the memory of the tzaddik muvurach is blessed, but rather the mention of a tzaddik is to be a bracha. And was when you mention a tzaddik, you should praise him and thereby bless him or her. And here we have a mention of a tzaddik, Noach. And therefore we go into praising Noach. Noach is tzaddik. Those are all praises of Noach. Then says Rashi, another explanation a very profound message. The essential, the main offspring, I would say that, of tzaddikim are their good deeds. The main, the primary um, offspring of tzaddikim are not children, but the deeds that they do. And so Eila told her Noach, what have I told her of Noach? I'll tell you what have I told her of Noach. He was a tzaddik, he was tamim, he was, he walked with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's the Masim Tovim. Now I remember seeing in Nechamba Leibovitz, um, one of the classic examples of Nechamba Leibovitz's method, she says, to distinguish between the two Pshatim and Rashi, you should work out how the Pasuk would be punctuated according to the two, two different Pshatim. So according to the first Peshat, since, he men- since we've mentioned him, we relate his praise. How would we punctuate the Pasuk? Followed by a dash. I like dashes. You could probably use brackets, but I like dashes. Dash. And I, i.e. sort of in as a separate point. Followed by another dash. And then we resume the main theme, which is, According to the second pshat, how would you punctuate the pasuk? Ela told that Noach, this is the offspring of Noach, semicolon. And now I'll tell you what the offspring of Noach was. Noach is sadik. That was his offspring. Because the essential toldotehem, the essential offspring of a tzaddik are his good deeds. So Ela told Noach is not then broken off by some topic in parentheses or in dashes about, we've mentioned Noach, so let's praise him. But according to the second Peshat, Ela told Noach is followed by told Noach. By the way, why does Rashi say, Ikar told shal sadikim masim tovim? The main, I translate as the primary offspring of sadikim masim tovim. That would explain why it's put first. Why, if, according to the second Peshat, we have two types of, of toldot. What are the two types of toldot? Masim tovim and children. That, that children stays as, as toldot. They're just not the only ones. But which is mentioned first? The masim tovim. So that, perhaps, is why Rashi says, Ikara toldotehem shazadikim masim tovim. Now, when Rashi brings two Peshatim, what do we have to do? Find out what is the weakness of one which is rectified in the other, etc., etc. So, um, what's the problem with saying uh, it's a Zeich HaTzadik Levracha? Since we've mentioned Noach, we have to praise him. Well, the problem is, this isn't the first time we mentioned Noach. Right? When did we mention Noach? When he was born, when uh, his father said, this one's going to bring comfort, um, or if that wasn't good enough because it was in the context of something else, we mentioned him at the very end of the previous parsha. Noach matzachem b'nei Hashem. So it would mean, it would be good to, um, if, if, sorry, if the rule is that whenever you mention a tzaddik, you've got to praise him, then we should praise him. Um, it's also the case, by the way, this rule, if it's a rule, is applied very, very sparingly. 
because there are many tzaddikim mentioned at many times in the Chumash, and we don't praise them every time. There are a couple of other examples where you could apply this, but it doesn't seem to be a general rule. So where does this rule come from, and how can we say this is the Peshat and this Pasa if it's not a consistently applied rule? So those are the weaknesses of the first Peshat. The second Peshat, the weakness of the second Peshat is, well, where else do we find Toldot meaning Masim Togan? And the answer is, I think, nowhere. Uh, it's hard to be sure of a negative, and I'm not saying I'm absolutely sure, but I don't recall one. And on the contrary, I recall many, many situations uh, where it says, these are the Toldot of so-and-so, and it goes on to list the children. So to say that the Ikara Toldotehim of Sadiqim and Masim Tovim seems to go against every other occurrence of the word Toldot that we're familiar with. The next comment of Rashi is also very well known. The word Bedorotov. Now, I think the question that Rashi's answering is simple. Why do we need the word Bedorotov? Um, Noah was a righteous man in his generation. In anybody else's generation? Of course he was in his generation. Or generations. Why generations? Plural, because he lived through more than one generation. He lived for 600 years, so, so he, he lived for more than one generation. Um, but when else did he live? If he didn't live in his generations, well, well, that's absurd. Of course he lived in his generations. So what does the word Bedorotov add? So Rashi says, Bedorotov. There are those of our rabbis, and he's quoting a machlokia, which is found in Sanhedrin and also in Bereshit Rabbah. There are those who expound it, i.e. the word Bedorotov, Lishvach, as praise. And how do they expound it as praise? How much more so if he was in a generation of Sadiqim, he would be more of a Tzadik. So it's Bedorotav. Even in his generation of bad people, he was a Tzadik. So how much more so if he would have been in a generation of Sadiqim. So that's Lishvach, that's praiseworthy. And there are those who expound it as a negative thing, as an insult, as a deprecation. According to his generation, he was a tzaddik. And if he had been in a generation of Abraham, he wouldn't have been considered as anything. So the word Bedorotav is he was a tzaddik in his generations, but how much more so, or maybe how much less so, would he have been a tzaddik in other generations? That's the import of the word bedorotav. Now, it's interesting that, um, well, I want to say three things which all point in the same direction. Number one, there is no devar acher. Now, there's something close. Yesh meraboteinu darshim otolishvach, but that is not the normal formulation when Rashi brings two different opinions. Normally we see or Pshat and Midrash or something like that. The second point is that he has changed the words of the original source. And I'll tell you what the change is by pointing out the third point. The third point, which a lot of people comment on, is the asymmetry here. Now, the way the Gomorrah puts it is the two ways of looking at it are precisely symmetrical. 
According to the first opinion, if he'd been in a generation of Sadiqim, he would have been an even greater Sadiq. And according to the second opinion, if he'd been in a generation of Sadiqim, he wouldn't have been seen so great because other people would have been greater than him. What does Rashi say? Where's the asymmetry in this? The first Lishvach is, had he been in a generation of Sadiqim? Yes. But the Ganai, the alternative is, had he been in the generation of Avraham. So A, why has he changed from the Gemara? B, why is it, it, the first half is a generation of Sadiqim, and the opposite, which should be the mirror image, is if he'd been in a generation of Avraham. So I saw this originally in Latora Ulamodim by Rav Zevin, um, which is a beautiful work. It's not so widely available these days, um, but it's really good. Anyway, but since then, I've seen the same idea in quite a few other places, so I don't think it's unique to Rav Zevin. And taking all my three points together, there's no Dva Acher, Rashi has deliberately changed the Lashon of the Gemara, and Rashi ends up with this asymmetry. It's possible to say that these are not two opposing opinions. They are two statements which are both true about the nature of Noach Tzidkut. Basically, to jump to the conclusion of what I want to say, and this comes out in the next Pasuk and in other places as well, that there is no doubt that Noach was not on the same level as Abraham. That's almost a given. But he was pretty good. And had he been in an environment of Sadiqim who would have sort of helped him grow he would have been even better. But it's still the case, however good he is, that compared to Avraham, he is nothing. So you can explain this in a simple hierarchical fashion. There's like regular, there's Noach, who's good. There's Noach with Sadiqim, who'd be even better. But there's Noach compared to Avraham, and he's definitely worse, because Avraham is even better than Noach would have been with the Sadiqim. But you can actually go further, and this is Rav Zevin in particular. You can say, Lo nechshav l'klum, why does Rashi say, Lo haya klum. He would not have been considered as anything in the time of Abraham. So this comes to the core of the difference between Noah and Abraham, about which many, many people say. Things like, Noah was a tzaddik. We can't get a, I mean, no, there's no suggestion that he wasn't a tzaddik, because the Torah tells us he was a tzaddik, tamim, he was pure, he was complete, he was a tzaddik. But it's well known that when Hashem said to Noach, I'm going to destroy the world, I want you to build a boat, what did Noach say? Where's the nails? When Hashem says to Avraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Amorah, what does Avraham say? No. No. So Avraham is the activist. Avraham is the kirav worker. Avraham is the one who goes out and fights for what he believes in. Noach doesn't do any of that. So you could say that Noach is the sort of fellow who's happy to live in the Bet Midrash, uh, not this Bet Midrash, but a Bet Midrash, and if he's surrounded by other Sadiqim who are all doing from things together, they will grow collectively, and that's very nice, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Noach is not an activist. Noach is not somebody who goes outside the Bet Midrash and tries to spread the message of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the world as Abraham does. So had Noach been in Avram's generation, lo nechshav klum, because he would have been totally eclipsed by Avraham. Because when Avraham's living in the world, you don't even notice who's stuck in the Bet Midrash because they're so insignificant compared to the work that Avraham is doing. 
So that's how you can say that we don't have to say these are contrasting and conflicting opinions, but they fit together. And Rashi is pointing um, to, I, I think maybe he's pointing to the next comment of Rashi, but he's pointing to a few other things about the contrast between Noah and Avraham. And by changing the words and saying, had he been of a generation of Abraham, Rashi is highlighting that Noah is a tzaddik, but he's not on the same level as Abraham. He's different to Abraham. His whole approach is different to Abraham. And by the way, we're going to see much later, probably in months and months' time, uh, actually not that far, um, that uh, Noah, sorry, Rashi describes Noah as makatne amuna people who only had a little bit of emuna or somehow didn't have enough emuna When he has to be pushed into the teva, that's how Rashi interprets the pasuk a little bit later on, because he didn't know for sure if the flood was going to come or not, which is quite a serious um, uh, accusation against Noach. Hashem says over and over again, the flood's coming. And then Rashi tells us Noach wasn't quite sure, but we have to put that in the context, which I think is being spelled out here. He was pretty good. In fact, he was very good. And the Torah calls it a tzaddik tamim. And Rashi is saying, if you put these two points together, you get the picture that he's very good. He's just nowhere near as good as Avraham. And that also comes out in the next comment of Rashi. Because the Pasuk says, Et Noach. Now, straight away, it's not even worth talking about. Et means with, as it often does. And Rashi doesn't even need to tell us that et means with. It's not like a, a special interpretation. It's a valid, authentic, uh, alternative interpretation of et. So what we have is, et elokim hitalech noach. With God, noach walked. Now Rashi straight away says, but this contrasts with a similar phrase elsewhere. And as we've said many times before, Rashi is the one who sees the Torah like a laid table, in other words, if something's a little bit missing in that place setting, he compares it to this place setting and he notices the difference. So, Ed is absolutely fine by itself, but when we contrast it to something else, we have a question. So Rashi says, Uba Avraham, who by Avraham it says, and there's different girsaot here, whether you have two quotes or one. So my book has, well, has two. Hithalech lefanai. Hashem says to Avraham, walk before me. And Hashem says, Abraham describes uh, Hashem as Asher Hithalachti Lafanav, before whom I walked. So, straight away we have either one or two examples of Abraham walking not with Hashem, but before Hashem. And this leads to two questions. Number one, the simple one why the difference? Why is the Torah not consistent? And number two, which is better? Walking by the side of the king or walking in front of the king? In other words, if you're waiting for the king to arrive and you see the entourage and there's a person coming immediately before the king and then you see the king walking side by side with some other bloke whom he's talking to, which is the more senior of the two, the one in front of the king or the one next to the king? Well, the way I've tried to set up the question, I hope you would have thought the one next to the king He's obviously like more on the king's level than the guy in front who's like some sort of herald whose job it is to say, oh, look, the king's coming, but the guy in front is not privileged enough to be chatting to the king. So the question would be, it would seem that if Abraham is in front of Elohim and Noah is in Elohim, that sounds like Noah is better. 
And that can't be, because A, we've just said that Noah's not the same level as Abraham in the very previous Rashi. And number two, we just know. We just know that Noah's not the same as Abraham. Um, Abraham survived 10 tests, Abraham is our ancestor, etc., etc. So we have these two problems, which Rashi answers in one go by saying, Noah hayatzarich sa'ad l'tomcho. Noah needed help to support him. Aval Abraham but Abraham was strengthened and was proceeding in his righteousness by himself. So Rashi has inverted our concept of who's more important in the procession that we would have previously thought the guy talking to the king is the most important, under the king himself. But it turns out that he's not just walking side by side with the king, that Elohim is supporting him. He's like holding him up because Noah can't hold himself up. Noah needs this external support. But it turns out that Abraham, who walks before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is stronger and is able to walk without support. So we have explained, A, why there's a difference, and B, why the difference is uh, counterintuitive in that it sounds like Abraham is on a more junior level. It turns out that he is not. You look like you want to ask a question or make a point or refute everything I've said. No, no, very good. Well, okay. So you're suggesting that, that in Hitaleich with Abraham is a tzivui, is an imperative. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know what you've all got in your text. So I've got in square brackets, which means it should be there. Um, now that is said at the end of Parshat Lech Lecha, when Hashem says to Abraham, it's time for you to have a brit milah and reach a level of perfection and walk before me, imperative. The other one is Abraham when he says to, um, I say Eliezer, it's worth noting that in the whole story of finding the wife for Rivka, the Torah doesn't call him Eliezer once, Rashi calls him Eliezer once. So he is Eliezer according to Rashi, but the Torah never calls him Eliezer. Anyway, when Abraham is speaking to his servant, whom we usually identify as Eliezer, <laughs> Abraham says, Hashem will help you. Hashem, asher hitalakti lefanav. Hashem before whom I walked. So my version has two examples of, hitalakti, of, of Abraham walking before Hashem. But the key one, perhaps, is Hashem, uh, Hashem says to Abraham, hitalech lefanai, which is an imperative which very nicely, thank you for that, sets us up for the next Rashi. Because the next Rashi is a grammar Rashi. Yay. There are those who say, I think I might have said this, that you should avoid the three Gs in Rashi. Genealogy and geography and grammar. Well, in this year, we're going to tackle every single Rashi head on, including the grammar ones, and why not? Because <laughs> Rashi says, Hitaleich Loshon Avar. It's in the past tense. And why would Sarah and others be surprised at this? Because, he goes on to say, Now, some texts say Lamad, and some say Hey. Uh, I notice Art Scroll says Lamad. Mine says Hey with Lamad in brackets. Um, I'll, I'll talk about which one is more likely in a moment. But the word Hit Halech, it's got a Hey at the beginning. It's not the hay in the middle. That's not what we're talking about. It's the hay at the beginning or the lamad. Um, anyway, this is the use of the hay or the lamad, baloshon kaved, in one of the heavy binyanim. 
This is in the Hitpael Binyan. There are seven Binyamin, Hitpael, which is reflexive. How do we know it's heavy? Because the middle letter has got a Dagesh in it. So the Lamad is strengthened by the Dagesh. It's made sort of heavier. And that's why the um, uh, Binyanim, which put a Dagesh in the middle letter, like Peel and Hitpael and Puel, I think, are called heavy. Anyway, so when you have either a hay or a lama, depending on which one we're talking about, Belosh and Kabed, Mishameshet, it is used, Lahaba Ulusha'avar Belosh Echad. It's used to mean the future and to mean the past in the same word. Now, when he says future, he means what we call imperative, Tzivui. Why is Tzivui called future? Because it's action that hasn't yet been done. But grammatically, he means the imperative. And the point he's making is in Hitpa'el, then um, he walked and walk, exclamation mark, as an imperative, take on exactly the same form. And you have to work out which is which. But there's a few um, examples in the various conjugations of the various binyanim where you have two different, um, you have the same grammatical form with two different meanings. It's actually not uncommon at all. And here he's saying in Hitpale, this is what you get. Sing, uh, singular male past, and imperative take on exactly the same form. Now, by the way, should it be hay or should it be lamad he's talking about? So the book I was using said it should be hay because the lamad is part of the shoresh and can't be described as a shimush, as a uh, um, service to the verb, whereas the hay of the hay taf at the beginning is clearly added to the root. The root is halach, the hit bit at the beginning, which is a uh, distinguished distinctive feature of the hit pael binyan, is added, and therefore that sounds more like a shimush, a extra serving of the hay. You could make a case that it means the lamad as well. Anyway, he's now going to give some examples of how you see hit aleich in the imperative form or in the past form. So, for instance, kum hit aleich, get up and walk lahaba. He says that's future, by which he means imperative. Hit halech noach, our case, noach walked l'sha'avar. That's past tense. Hit pa'el, hit palel, different verb now, but the same binyan. Ba'ad avodecha, daven, pray for the sake of your servants. L'haba, that's imperative. Ubava hit palel el habayet hazeh. When Shlomo dedicates the Bet Mikdash, he says somebody will come and pray in this house. Now, that's will come and will pray, future. But Rashi says, Loshon Avar, that's the past tense, hit palel. But the Vav at the beginning is the Vav conversive, which turns the past into the future. So, it has a future meaning, but the grammar of the word hit palel is past. Compared to the previous example, hit palel ba'adavadecha is imperative. So we have two pairs, four psukim, two pairs, in two verbs looking identical. One's imperative, one's past, and then hit palel, two examples, one's imperative, one's past. And the point that Rashi is making is don't get confused by the fact that it looks like an imperative. Et helokim hit noach sounds like with God you must walk, noach, or something. No, don't think it means that because. Here's the secret that Rashi is revealing. The hit halech can mean walk as an imperative, but it can also mean he walked, which is what it means here. I'd just like to add an interesting thought, which I don't think is meant by Rashi, but it's interesting. 
But the example he gives of Hitalaik as an imperative is said in relation to Avraham Avinu. And previously, in the previous Rashi, he says, Avraham doesn't need a support. And what he can do, mitchazeik, he is strong. Umahalech besidko me'alav. And he goes, and I'm adding the word, goes forward in his righteousness by himself. When you say it as an imperative, you're giving the scope for it to happen and keep happening and keep happening more and more. So when Hashem says to Noach, kum hitalech, get up and walk, or hitalech lefanai, or walk before me, He's telling her, it's giving an imperative which gives the opportunity to keep going. And Abraham, of course, is the one who keeps going and keeps growing. But when it's in the past tense, it's happened, it's been and gone. And there's no room for future growth. And therefore it fits quite nicely that the past tense of Etalech is in relation to Noah. Because Noah doesn't keep growing. On the contrary, actually, he descends. But that's a much later story. Right. What happens next? Um... The earth was, what's hashata, destroyed or something. We'll come up with a better translation in a minute. The earth was destroyed before God. And the earth was full of violence. Or Rashi's going to give a more precise translation. No, it's no relation to Hamas, which is a, a source of violence, but it's a different word altogether. Okay. <laughs> Says Rashi, Petishachet, Lashon Erva Va'avodazara. Okay. Tishachet means destroyed. You could possibly translate it based on this Rashi as perverted. The earth was perverted before God. But you don't have to use that translation. You can stick with destroyed. But Lifneyalokim, Rashi's talking about, well, I think Rashi is saying, why is it Tishachet Lifneyalokim? If the earth is destroyed, it's destroyed. What do you mean it's destroyed before Elohim? Answer, it's destroyed in respect of those things which God demands of it. And it has perverted its way in the two things which Hashem requires the world to do, and it failed in both of them. Erva va'avodazara. Sexual immorality and idolatry. So, fidelity to one's family... And fidelity to God is what the world relies on. And if you take away those things, then you have hashkata, then you have destruction. The world is destroyed. And Rashi proves that um, Ereva and Avodazara are um, a fitting translation of Tishachet from the Pasuk in Devarim, in yesterday's Sedra, Pen Tashchitun, lest you destroy and you go bad. Now there it's actually said in relation to Vodazara. And Rashi assumes that uh, Ereva is equally destructive. But I would suggest, uh, I'm sorry, the next example is Ki Hishchit Kol Basar, which is going to come in the next Pasuk, where um, clearly that's, a, that's referring to Ereva, to sexual immorality. So we have the passing of the Varim, which shows that Tashritun uh, refers to Avodazara. We have the Pasuk here in Bereshit, in the very next Pasuk, which shows that it refers to Ereva. So that's why Rashi's main comment is, what's for Tishachet? Lashon Ereva va'avodazara. Ki pentishchatun, ki hishchit kol basar, Ereva, ki hishchit kol basar et darko, va'avodot elokim, kemo pentishchatun. Now, there, again, there are slight... Um, 
different versions of exactly how that's set up. Um, and probably pen teshchiton shouldn't be repeated at the beginning and end of that list. But the point is, we have um, two examples, one referring to Ereva and one referring to Lashon Hara, both from the same root. But I think the key point that Rashi is explaining is Lifnei Elohim. Again, if the world's destroyed, it's destroyed, whether it's before God or not before God. But if it's destroyed before God, it's destroyed in a spiritual level. It has failed to meet the demands that Hashem has put on it, namely fidelity within one's family and fidelity to HaKadosh Baruch But having said, and Rashi's saying that refers to the big, big sins of Erva and Avodah the Pasuk goes on to say, the Timalei Haaretz Hamas, the earth was filled with violence. Says Rashi, that means Gezel, robbery. Now, by the way, the Gemara does distinguish between Hamas and Gezel. Halachically, they're not the same. But Rashi is saying, as far as the Pasuk is concerned, the Pshat of the word Hamas is Gezel, is robbery. The people of the flood were stealing from each other. Shneemar, as it says, and all these comments I've got in brackets because some versions have them and some don't. Umin hachemas aser asher bekapehem. Kapasuk from Yonah, when Hashem describes to Yonah how bad the people of Nineveh are, he talks about the Hamas which is in their hands. Now, if you translate Hamas as I did deliberately to like put you off the scent, as violence, it doesn't make sense to have violence which is in their hands. It doesn't make sense. But if it's robbery then robbery is in their hands. In other words, the fruits of their ill-gotten gains are physically in their hands. So that's why he brings the posset from Yonah, which refers to Hamas asher bekapehem, something which is physically in your hands, meaning it is robbery. And it's interesting, and we're setting ourselves up for what Hashem is going to say in Pasuk Yud Gimel, that we have really big sin, followed by really big sin, followed by another sin, which, to be honest, you might think is bad, but not quite so bad. Namely, we have Tishachet Aretz, which refers to Erva and Avodah Zarah, and then we also have Gezel. And we'll see which one of them is identified by HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the trigger for the flood. Any questions? I've been talking a lot. It's time to pause and say, are there any questions? Okay. Um, I'm going to take a drink. And those listening on the podcast, don't say amen to the brother. <laughs> oh, of course. Not surprised. Such a good day. I bought my supplies. <laughs> you, should say, you should say his fridge at school. <laughs> do you like that? I do like that. Pope Catholic. Pasuk Yudbet. Vayar Elohim et ha'aretz. Vahinei nishchata. Ki hishchit kol basar et darko al ha'aretz. Hashem saw the world, the land, and behold, nishchata, it was, now that's the same verb as we had in Pasuk Yudalef, v'tishachet, so destroyed or perverted, ki hishchit kol basar, because all flesh had perverted darko, their way on the earth. So Rashi's going to say, what's hishchit kol basar? So that's the phrase which perhaps requires explanation. What does it mean that all flesh had perverted their way? Says Rashi, Afilu Bahema Chaya Vaof Nizkakin Lesha'eno Minim. Even animals and bird and, and uh, well other types of animals, domestic and, and birds had 
perverted their ways by um, having relations with other species. Now, either it means they have relations with man, and we're talking about bestiality, or I don't think that's what it means, although I did see that suggestion. Um, it means they had relations across the species. Um, and that is not what Hashem wanted. Now, it's not necessarily true to say that they are sinning, and interestingly enough, it doesn't say that they are sinning. But it does say that they're doing something which is contrary to Hashem's plan. Hashem made animals, each one going to perpetuate their own species. And when they start crossbreeding, that's not what Hashem wants. And that re- represents a um, hashchata, a perversion, or if you like, a destruction of what they um, uh, were supposed to do. Okay, and that's Kishik Kolbasar, all flesh. Kolbasar doesn't just mean um, humankind. We've already heard about how bad humankind is. And this must mean something else. So Kolbasar takes us beyond humanity. It must take us to the animals. And therefore, uh, Rashi has to say, it's all the animals, all the species of animals, with an interesting exception, have become, had uh, started crossbreeding, and that is a kishchit kolbasar darko. Now, the reason I just kept pausing and I kept looking back is I realized I owe you a profound apology because in Pasuk Zion, at the end of Bereshit, I missed out a phrase. Can we all turn back to Pasuk Zion and you'll see why I remembered it now. I feel very bad. We made this whole big song and dance that we finished Bereshit and we hadn't because I missed out two lines. So if you look back to Pasuk Zion, Sorry, I'm going completely out of order here, but you'll see the connection. The Pasuk says, Hashem says, I will dissolve man whom I created from the face of the earth. From man to animal, to creepy crawly, to birds of the heaven. And Rashi had something to say on Everyone got the place? Sorry for going out of order. Says Rashi, Af Haim Hishchitu Darkam. They also had perverted their way. So you'll see why I remembered it, because this Rashi here in Pasuk Zion is a reference to uh, the Pasuk we just learned in Yud Bet. In Yud Bet, it said, Hishchit Kolbasar et Darko, which Rashi explained as all the animals were interbreeding. And that, says Rashi here in Pasuk Zion, explains why it answers the question, if man is so bad, and everything we've been learning up till now in the previous few Pasukim is about how bad man is, why did the animals have to cop it as well? Why is it me'adam ad behema? So Rashi explains the animals deserved it as well. As I said, not necessarily that they were sinning, but they weren't doing what they were supposed to. So that's why they have to go. Devar Acher, another explanation. Why do the animals have to be killed? Hakol nivra bishvil ha'adam, v'kevon shehu kala matzorech ba'elu. Everything was created for the sake of man. And since he is to be wiped out, what need is there of these? So the question is, why animals? Why don't just destroy Adam? Two answers, and clearly they're opposing answers because we've got Deva Acher in between. The first answer is the animals deserved it. And the second answer is the animals are only there for the sake of man 
And so if man's not there, we don't need the animals either. Now, to use the Gemara's phrase, what is the nafkamina between these two answers? Which is also going to be the weakness of the second answer. What is the nafkamina between these two answers? And the answer is fish. I thought it was a funny thing to say, so I'll say it again. The answer is fish. Okay, now, why is the answer fish? According to the first answer... According to the first answer, which animals perverted their ways? If you look in Pasuk Yudbet, where Rashi said, off. Why did Rashi spell out in Pasuk Yudbet when the Torah said, Kol basar? Rashi said, off. What does he mean? To exclude fish. So we learn that fish did not pervert their way. Fish did not interbreed. And that explains why. What happened to the fish? They survived. Which is also interesting. No, yeah. However, just a moment, according to, back to Pasuk Zion, according to Rashi's second explanation, if, the, if man is gone, then the animals don't need to be here. What should happen to the fish? They should also die. If the cows and the rabbits and the, I don't know, the um, pigeons die because man doesn't need them anymore, then the fish should go as well. But the fish didn't. So that's the weakness of the second pshat. What the second pshat should imply that the fish should go, but they didn't. What's the weakness of the first pshat? Uh, so I saw suggested, you don't need to say me'adam, you just need to say behema. If the point of the first pshat is, we've already said that people are going to go, and in addition Hashem says, I'm going to wipe away the behema, then you don't need me'adam ad behema. The fact that it says may Adam ad behema implies a link between the two. And that is suggested by the second explanation. The second explanation says, I'm going to get rid of Adam and his subordinate animals that are there to provide for his needs. And that's a nice explanation of may Adam ad behema. The only problem is it doesn't explain the survival of the fish. Because if, if all the animals have to go because man doesn't need them anymore, then man doesn't need the fish either. Yes? Why in um, the second in your bed, why doesn't Rashi use, when he's explaining Kishchet um, Kobasa, why doesn't he say Lemes? When he uses it, when it's in the Torah. In Good question. Why? The Torah says Remes, um, creepy crawly. And the, uh, sorry, in your bed. Kishchet Kobasa, sorry. In, in, in Zion, it says, Adam ad behema ad remez ad of hashemayim. And here, Rashi says, Hishkit kobasar, afila behema chayava of. Good question. I haven't got a good answer. Um, my sort of attempted answer is, behema chayava of covers everything. It's an expression that doesn't leave anything out, at least of the land-based animals, of the ter- terrestrial animals. Um, but I don't think that's a good enough answer because he could have still said Remes, as the Torah does elsewhere. So I'm going to take that one on notice. Okay? Sure. <laughs> and that takes us to 9.26pm, so I think we will stop there. And next week, Yemir Tashem, we'll carry on from Pasuk Yud Gimel. Podcast.